Hi, this is Keaton, and this is the first intro for my podcast, The West Noise. And what it is, is me having conversations with a variety of people who I harass via email. So a few of them have actually responded, which is kind of cool. And one of them is a man by the name of Robert Miller, who is a composer. He's done some commercials. About 2,000 of them, roughly. Some for Coke, won a couple awards. He's done quite a bit of documentaries, some of the ESPN 30 for 30s. He did Particle Fever, Netflix Hit. And most notably, recently, he has done some of the music for Louis C.K.'s upcoming film, I Love You Daddy, which is intriguing. And that's the bulk of what we got to talk about today. So yeah, it's Halloween, and I didn't do much about that fact. I had some macaroni and cheese, I listened to some Dead Man's Bones, I listened to Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack, watched that in Coraline last night, listened to some spooky stuff, and besides that, I, I did, didn't eat any candy, didn't dress up, but that's okay, because I talked to Robert Miller. And that's all that matters. So so what this is, is pretty much I, I just enjoy speaking to people and finding out what they do and why they do it and where they do it, how they do it. So that's a fact, but what I'm unsure of is whether or not others will get anything out of listening to me have those conversations with people. So only time will tell. And hopefully it's not a complete piece of garbage and that there's something redeemable from from me speaking. But like I said, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. So here's, here's me talking to Robert Miller. Uh, I'm just gonna um, see how my neighborhood uh, lights up tonight and see what goes on. I'm not gonna do anything particularly special. I mean, I'm here working now, but uh, I do I do right. love Hall I love Halloween and I, I just like I like in general all holidays. That's good. Good. Did you um when you uh, did you watch the trailer to? Um, I yes, love I did, and I was. What did you think of it? I'm not even making it up. The music was the first thing that I was like, wow. <laughs> I went oh, really? For it. Yeah, and I just, I'm very excited to see it. I know there's been some controversy with it and because of the script and whatnot. And I personally find comedy to be comedy. Mm-hmm. So I, I know there's a lot of things with people saying that certain certain situations in the movie are not correct or whatever. And, I saw Louis came out and said it's just a movie, <laughs> and that was that was pretty much what I followed. But I I've been excited to hear about any project he has, and then when I saw he had a new movie, I was immediately interested. And then when the trailer came out, I 
I'm really happy about the fact that it's all shot on the 35 millimeter black and white. I think that's yeah. a really interesting approach. I like everybody in it. Big Malkovich fan. I like Chloe Grace Moretz. I, I really like uh, Samla. So I'm eager. So how do you fit into that? <laughs> how do you how do, how well, do you even? Yeah, you I mean, you know, um, it was there's a there's a point person in the middle of uh, Zach and myself, and that is Jonathan Schultz, who's a music editor that I that I think Zach had worked with on one film, but I, that I had worked with just in the last year. I worked with him like on three movies, and uh, he's a terrific guy and hard worker. He he um, was with Howard Shore um, during a lot of Howard's um, big films, the Hobbit trilogy, things like that. So you know, wow. uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Schultz is a very experienced music editor, and so. Zach, Zach had a connection to Louis C.K. and Zach was hired to, to work on the film, um, and then they started to kind of um, take stock in the kinds of things that um, Louis Louis had been temping into the movie. And a lot of a lot of them were very, very big, very traditional, slightly old world symphonic things. And huh. by the way, on that trailer, it just ironically, it just happens to be that that all that symphonic music that's on the trailer mm. is, is, is my contribution. Wow. To the film. Yeah. Just uh, my contribution <laughs> in minutes is smaller than Zach. Zach, Zach, you know, was, was the, he was the guy on board first. Right. But what happened was, um, Jonathan, uh, Zach and Jonathan had kind of, I guess they took stock in the situation and, and Jonathan realized, um, that, it was with the speed that Louis wanted to get it done and all that, that they were going to need some help. So, right. Um, you, you seem quite experienced in that. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's an area, you know, um, my history is is with symphonic composition. I mean, I do a lot of other things, too. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx. I love a lot of a lot of things um, that are off topic from... Yeah, you know, I was going to be curious as to, like, what a composer listens to. Like, what, do, you, do you just listen to... Anything that comes on, do you just sit down well, and listen to yeah. orchestra music? Uh, <laughs> or... Yeah, I keep my ears open to everything. You know, when I hear something that I love, I don't care what the genre. Um, I'm very yeah. open-minded. But I did, you know, start, um, you know, I mean, even though I was listening to everything from the Beatles to Jimi Hendrix to all of Motown to, um Oh my god! My gosh, Cream! You know, lot, lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So growing up, I I was listening. You know, I I, I managed to um, end up with a year of studying with the guy that was my number one mentor, and that's Aaron Copland, who was a very famous American composer. Wow. So that you know, but the, so symphonic music, and I I listen to my gosh, so much stuff. Uh, Stravinsky is one of my heroes, and. Uh, uh, I had a, went through a big Beethoven phase, a big Brahms phase, uh, you know. That's so uh, interesting to me. Yeah, it's a lot. I'm, I'm all over the place, but um, this this idea that I can, you know, that I'm um, a what people might refer to as a symphonist, even though I would I would just say that just simply the orchestra is just a, a natural language of mine. Um, Jonathan had recommended that it might be a good thing for me to jump on board the film. And so, just through the process of us talking, it was decided it was decided that I'd come on as a co-composer, and then I would work right. on I would work on a certain aspect of the film, and uh, Zach would 
would continue doing what he was doing, which was, you know, quite a lot. I mean, he worked really hard on on, on this film um, and did a really good job. And um, like I said, the trailer, I was, I really enjoyed that. So I'm, I'm excited yeah, to see how, you know, how the, it goes in the movie. It would be, it would be very interesting for you to see the film now, and then also to see how the trailer um, represents the film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the, uh, the music sounds felt... kind of light. The music sounds kind of like fairyish, sort of like up in the air, upbeat a little bit. And yeah, like a I, lot of it, it is. I the, mean, the you know, like, like you were hearing. Tone. Right. You were hearing excerpts of mm-hmm. of the um, several of the symphonic waltzes that were written. And, yeah. you know, Louis had been very interested in these these um, uh, elegant Viennese-style waltzes. And wow. Yeah, he kind of explained it to us that he wanted you did, uh, you got to, to give... You got to speak with him and sit down and, like, hear what his yeah. idea was? He was he had visited cool. the studio uh one day and sat and spoke and you know we had had um conference calls as well but right. we were he was here and uh in my studio and he was mentioning that he wanted it to seem that that the characters in the film were breathing um uh rarefied air from an altitude like wow. as if to say that they were that they were um that they had money and uh right that, with that money makes sense came, i can when I apply certain, that, certain like what I heard, elegance, makes sense. yeah. I, I know he was very on his show, Louis. I, I've read a lot about how how he would make the like the jazz music for that because a lot of that was just made like in the studio. And I remember reading like he would just sit down with them and tell them like what this idea he wanted. And Louis is a very dark show, but the music is often just this comfortable sort of relaxing feel when the content yeah. can be very dark. And I. I just think the yeah. way he thinks seems to be really interesting, especially for like when it's a comedian, because I feel like he's 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 more focusing on like the tone. He isn't totally just trying to get jokes across or just get the plot across. Like he's understanding. I don't feel like too many people like music can sometimes be left out. Like I'll watch a movie sometimes and the music is good, but it's very in there. It's not. It doesn't contribute, and it, it seems like he really took that into account. Which, which is super interesting. It is, and you know, it sounds to me, you know, you know, like obviously you're a big uh, Louis C.K. fan. It sounds to me that you um, have an understanding of his aesthetic, and I think that really is, you know, I don't want to speak for for anybody, Louis mm-hmm. C.K. or anybody else, but I will tell you that from from my own perspective, that 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 seems right, and he was really kind of concerned with capturing a certain spirit and he really he really likes the um the way um a bygone era kind of happened musically you know he referred mm-hmm. to things in the 40s and 50s and uh these viennese waltzes um you know and just stuff that is absolutely not part of the language of most contemporary films so it was um it was very interesting and the score got recorded all live with a big group in London, wow. Abbey Road Studios. That's and great. that's, you know, that's also kind of uh, rare. I mean, he has, the film was made uh, independently. So right. that's, that's to also go in to those lengths, to, to have a score that, you know, has that much mm-hmm. uh, to offer and is that grand, is also an interesting um, aspect 
and um, you know, I guess I guess we'll see what the public, by and large, thinks. You know, when the movie comes out. Well, what did you um, think? How did it How did it turn out? Really well. Do you, you think the music fit with the whole thing? Absolutely. I think that it's a re- it's a really fascinating collision of um, a contemporary story with a little bit of, as you say, there's a little bit of um, edge to the story, and it's very mm-hmm. timely right now. You know, certainly, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I saw some posts. I saw some posts on YouTube that were like. I can't figure out if this is the worst timing ever or the best timing ever. <laughs> I and, every every time he comes out with new material, I think it's I it, I don't think it can be the worst time if you're just making it happen. Like when he speaks on things, it's not because he not not just him specifically, but anyone in general when you create a piece of art like it, it's not to cause a ripple or to be like, "Haha, look what I can do." It's it's always important to face the controversies face on and to acknowledge problems that are occurring. In my opinion, at least it's always better to open that wound and like, look at it and look at the things that are wrong rather than just ignore it or act like the opening of that wound is a problem or it, like it needs to be censored. If that makes sense. Right. Right. Well, it's, you know, he seems very comfortable from what it, what it feels like when he was speaking in Toronto, and I think right now, I mean, he's there's no, you know, he doesn't seem to want to defend anything, which I, I really admire. I mean, I, if I just look at it like a fan, uh, I would think, wow, he's just very, very courageous, very comfortable, and very honest. And uh, right, I, I know, love so, that. Yeah, so so I think, um, and and he also, you know, the character in the film is a character that has the right idea morally that mm-hmm. can't just is not strong enough to to just command the room and take charge it's a it's a person with the right ideas but not the not necessarily enough intestinal fortitude to carry out those ideas um but he's you know he's he's a a person in the film with with you know, like hearts in the right place and and uh, morals are in the right place. So it's so here you go. It's like a going to be interesting to see. Um, and and this whole whole cast, uh, I can't say enough actually about. <laughs> I personally, Chloe Grace Moritz, this mm-hmm. amazing young actress. Holy cow! I've I've always been fascinated with her. She was I think the first thing I saw her in was Kick Ass, which was mm-hmm. I don't even know how many years ago, but. She was definitely young, and she just seems to have that sort of wisdom to acting. Incredible. That you don't always see. Yeah, uncommon, like way beyond her years. And um, she has a lot in her face. When you look at her on screen, it's a very uh, wise and mature look. I mean, she's she's clued in. You know, there's there's no question. Right. She's 20 years old. That's that's so yeah. young for. And like even from the bits that I saw in the trailer, just some of the moments where it was just Louie and her, and she would just like look at him, and like she wouldn't have to say anything, and you could just see like that's right. She's already made up in her mind this relationship with her dad. Yeah, her face. And is, yeah, she's she's deeply expressive. It doesn't look like she's trying to portray someone. It looks like she is his daughter. It looks like she that's is right. that close to him. Which that's right. I yeah. feel like it's hard harder to pull off than it sounds. Yeah. 
No, no, I mean, no, it's it's amazing. And, you know, Pamela Adlon, who's been with Louis in his shows, is right. fantastic. She's really talented. John Malkovich, we, you know, we all know he's, he's a John Malkovich. <laughs> complicated and quirky, but very, you know, very interesting guy. Very, very talented. Edie Falco's a veteran, and she's amazing. And Yeah, so he, he got him. And Helen Hunt, you know, who, who doesn't have much to do in the film. But mm-hmm. um, these are all big time pros. They're all really, really good. He always seems very particular in his casting. Like I know I keep referring back to his show, but like it seemed everybody that was in that show, every character was picked precisely. Like they served their purpose. There was no one off. And yeah. I'm I'm, ho- I'm hoping and that's what it sounds like this movie's gonna be like is that no matter the role they're gonna serve like the exact purpose necessary for it. Mhm. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll feel that way. And uh yeah, I mean I really um wish him a tremendous amount of success uh, uh you know in in this venture and you know you, when you do this and you take a big risk you know he sold the movie mm-hmm. right away but he took a big risk after all right. you know um he put all of his own money into it and um you know i think i think he just wants to create and i i just respect that immensely yeah 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 he made it cuz he wanted to and that's yeah. that's really important I will also say this too, you know, you're going to see a lot about the homage to Woody Allen and all of that. Yes, yes. And I would say that who, what artist works in such a vacuum that there isn't an homage somewhere along the line? Mm -hmm. You know, um, composers have their favorite composers and a lot of times you hear a work and you go, wow, that sounds like a, like it's uh, an homage to, um, well, like like I was referencing my teacher, Aaron Copeland, you know. There's a couple of my orchestra works that were written specifically as homages to, you know, to my hero, Aaron Copeland. Right. And, and so someone else would come along and just hear what I did and say, well, and then that. make that comment. And then, you know, it, are, and then some people might make the comment and criticize. Next person will come along and say, um, you know, bravo, that's, um, you know, a really, you know, passionate tribute to somebody that's obviously a hero of yours. You know, like, mm-hmm. I guess I guess we, we are so quick to criticize, and this country is all about this, like, idea of just figuring figuring all these things out. And, and actually, Aaron Copeland himself used to say that, that America has the what's called the masterpiece complex. When something comes out, um, you, you, you want to be able to write that it's totally original, you know, you right. can't even trace the influences, and <laughs> and it's it's an immediate masterpiece. When the when the truth is, is that the arc of any artist's career. I mean, you know, uh, early Brahms sounds like late Beethoven, and early Beethoven sounds like late Mozart. Right. You can't. Everything plays off of something. Even, yeah, that's even right. Even if you don't yeah. state it directly, there's it's it's unrealistic to expect just pure geniuses that come out <laughs> like i mean not to say that there aren't people that are just incredibly beyond talented at what they do but i feel like we've just we have such a surplus of entertainment and media that like it's very hard to make something that's like brand new wow nobody's ever heard of a- anything even along the lines of that before but i think that's kind of okay because it's not necessarily a remake like it's not a it's not a sequel it's not a reboot for money reasons, but mm-hmm. it, it's it's using it's using the past to to help inspire. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And and I, 
So I um, find that those things are the domain of people that like to criticize, and I think that's just the rest of us artists have to just keep going and doing what we do. And you have to, right. when you put something out, you know you're going to get some critics, but you you know you have to believe in what you're doing and then um, stand behind it. And I fully believe, even if say I made a song and nobody liked it in the entire world, if I like 100% felt that I did the best I could in that song and like I was happy with it, then what? Like, what's the problem? I don't, right, I don't see the right. problem in that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, um, uh, we, we, the, the Internet kind of makes it so easy for all of us to um, comment so often about so much. Everything. Everything. And it just it gets, it gets too noisy. Right. Uh, you you know, can't just so sit back and enjoy something. That's right. Just, that's just right. let it be what it is. Yeah. You know, we create culture to deal with the rest of life, which is not so pretty and often very complicated and, and depressing at times. And, you know, here, so, so it's all, it's all, you know, uh, it's all good. I mean, there is certainly most of us would be able to perceive when something is done so badly that it's just unwatchable or unlistenable. Right. right. That's a different story. I mean, and, um, that, you know, that is a far cry from, um, how I feel about um, you know Louis C.K.'s movie. I think I think it's incredibly well done. And when you think about the effort it takes to star and direct and you know and be a co-writer in your own film mm-hmm. and then to edit, oh my God! I mean, yeah, you know. to edit it too. I was very surprised by that. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's another step. <laughs> that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. So I, like I'm just. I'm still fascinated by the fact that like you ended up on a Louis C.K. movie when looking at everything you've done in the past, you've done thousands of commercials just with all sorts of brands. And I, I see you've done like many, many documentaries. Do you like search for a certain genre or area? Or are you just like, if that sounds good, I'm going to put some music with it. Like how does, how does it even come yeah. to that? I mean, it just, you know, the, the projects because of um, my reputation and from, you know, people I know that, um, uh, you know, or, you know, recommendations uh, or my agent or whatever, the projects come to me and then people will discover what what my uh, particular strong points are and then I'll get hired based on that. So, uh, you know, I do, I have done a lot of very, very well-known documentaries, but I like dramatic narratives um, uh, mm-hmm. probably most of all. I mean, I love my documentaries, so don't take this as... Uh, <laughs> Me, me dissing because I do a lot of really interesting films. I mean, I'm working on, on Eugene Jarecki's The Promised Land right now, which is going to be a great film. I've oh, done wow. a lot of good films in the past. I've worked on now 13 ESPN uh, 30 for 30s. Yes, which, I saw the 30 for 30s. I was watching. Yeah, and you know, and those things are you know essentially right. If you just break it down, these are essentially sports documentaries, but they are done like, especially the director I work with, they're done like these wonderful. Yeah moving narrative features and they're just they're very compelling um and that's that's fascinating to be able to pull that out of a documentary about sports when it could easily just be here's some statistics here's some words somebody said about it but to make it a a movement or a story in some way that's just really really impressive yeah it's a hard form it really is (laughs) so i um get you know lots of offers for things and um and i um and and if i like the project 
you know, that, that's the other part of the equation. Um, and somebody wants to work with me, bingo, we're in. You know, we're, we're good. Like, I'm working on a movie right now called uh, The Bit Juggler, which is about the father of the information age that nobody seems to know about, Claude Shannon. He's the guy that actually invented how we store information and everything. We really kind of owe everything to him, everything about Well, I haven't heard of about, him, so there you go. Isn't that amazing? Well, neither did I. So I feel like well, it happens a lot. There's a lot of people that are unsung yeah. behind the scenes that don't This totally is one of the, the most machine. massive unsung lives ever. I mean, when you consider what we do in this world now, um, this guy kind of was the foundation of all of this. And um, I'm enjoying, you know, that's that's a project that's just uh, been getting underway the last couple of weeks, and this is really fun. Um do you usually make the music to the movie, the project, then? You don't? Yeah. Do you, do you yes, ever I, yeah, you always get a cut. Yeah, you're always scoring to. Sometimes in the process, it's just a rough cut, lock cut, but mm-hmm. um, that's right. That's the process. It's um, uh, it's not done in a vacuum where you're throwing music at somebody that's going to start figuring out how to cut in music into your movie. Right. That, sometimes happens on documentaries because documentaries take so long to form and sometimes the Mm -hmm. director is just trying to figure out how to make a movie from a bunch of raw footage and a bunch of... um, Right, it's less like producing or creating than it is. that's right. It is piecing together. Yeah, yeah. But I like to work as if it's a narrative, uh, you know, uh, I like when documentaries have that form. Mm -hmm. So... um, uh, but yeah, it's a long process that begins with talking about general direction to spotting the film, which is basically locating all the places that music goes in, into a movie, to talking about uh, you know more specific things, genre things like that. Um, you know, like Louis C.K. saying, "I really feel like this should be all these grand waltzes because." It uh, creates this idea of the rarefied air, and you know when he said that, I was like, "Oh yeah, I love that." I just, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, uh, you know, he's saying like, "Yeah, like you know, real high altitude stuff." <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and um, I knew what he meant, right? You know, it's kind of a very, very, very kind of. Um, I guess if you follow Louis C.K.'s monologues and in, in his stand-ups, like that would be a lot. That would be like the kind of thing he would say, you know. Right. Um, so, but on it, with any director, it, it, that's how it goes. Um, and uh, so I work on a lot of very interesting, varied projects that that um, I fall in love with for a variety of reasons. And, um, you know, I want it to continue forever, <laughs> if that's possible. Forever. I mean, you know, commercials the same way. I mean, it's a whole other animal, but oh my I God, love no. scoring commercials, and and I do a lot of it. Yeah, what is know? that like? We didn't even we didn't even touch on that. I feel like that's just a different beast because that's not only lengthwise, but just like there's there's such a central open message, and I feel like like with Coke and things like that, like mm-hmm. larger brands, there's usually like some sort of story, even even if it is a commercial. There's sometimes right. a family. There's sometimes something happening rather than just like a Taco Bell commercial, like come buy this new taco, <laughs> you know? So like, how is that, how does that differ from films? Like, do you want, is that, is it at the point that they just give you the whole commercial pretty much and then you do it? 
Yes, yeah. I get a, a pretty locked um, cut to mm -hmm. work with usually. Um, and, you know, you are scoring to a story and you are making something come to life a lot like you would in a film, but the, the form is so different. You know, the music usually wall-to-wall -wall on a commercial, and the thing about it is that you're not only you're telling a story, and usually very high, I mean, I work on stuff that has pretty pretty good, solid budgets, you know, pretty high mm -hmm. budgets, but um, the one, you know, main thing being that in the end, the agenda is, is to serve the client's uh, ultimate goal. Absolutely. Not, it's not, uh, a little piece unto itself. So it, it's there are so many more layers of people weighing in, and for different reasons. You know, there may be something where I write. Let's just just gonna just by way of example, I may write something for a commercial that really fits a particular storyline and you know works well with the film, but it's fairly dark music. Let's just say, and right? It may work really well for the story, but. Um, it may be, let's say, and Coke is a great example. They are always on guard for anything that feels dark. They really? want to be happy. They're the happy. I mean, that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. But right. So if they, that. yeah. So if it's a, you know, I remember doing a Super Bowl commercial a few years ago. It was animated, and it was kind of, it was kind of dark. But thank God it was animation, and it, it turned happy in the end. As but uh, there was a lot of nervous tension at Coke about this is too dark for Coke. So, you know, it's about their image, wow. you know, their, their corporate, any, any, any client, any uh, company has um, an eye out for their corporate image. And if the art part of a commercial is getting in the way of that corporate image, you, you damn know, you, you damn can be sure you'll hear about it. Do you think, so you're saying music is strong enough, like, they totally happy commercial. If the music was just a little dark, do you think they would be like sincerely concerned that like that music would affect like customers on a on a singular basis that much? Well, the music. They, like, yeah, they, I they know. You know what? Way? Here's <laughs> I can hear your um, kind of slight, you know, very mild skepticism <laughs> about that, and, and I sh I share. Oh, yeah. I, I would say this um, that they're not necessarily realistic. But if you're not an artist and you are very concerned, you're 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 running this giant ship, you know, a, a mm -hmm. billion-dollar corporation like Coke. Um, you do think that everything in the public eye is I, yeah, you, and I you get very nervous. That way. So so um, you know, even if it, even if uh, what's happening, maybe what's happening is what's in reality, what it is is that that dark score and that very kind of interesting, darker kind of commercial is compelling a lot of young people to go, man, that's cool. And it sheds a nice light on Coke. Inadvertently, Coke will not take that chance, you know, is, is kind of what I'm right. saying. There are I, mean, I guess clients, if you have something yeah, big. Yeah. Some clients will, by the way. Some clients, don't, you know, think that kind of slightly darker things are kind of cool. Right, like and, you see some commercials for big brands that are like, like Super Bowl is a really good example. Like there are edgy commercials with jokes that could potentially yeah. be offensive, but right. like they, they take that jump because somebody right. decided like that's the brand that we're okay with presenting a little bit. I think that, yeah, and, and the Super Bowl, um, unfortunately, I've seen 
the risk taking diminish a little bit over the course of the last few years? Yeah, it's, I can, um, I can it's say too bad I can because say I agree uh, with that. yeah, it's too bad because a lot of great shit happens when you're just <laughs> like tr- daring and in front of an audience of it's what's funny hundreds it's, it's of what, millions. Yeah. It's what's most human because to try to edit out things, of course, is mm-hmm. good to make a nice thick and span product, but. Mm-hmm. If you leave stuff in that's totally inventive or totally not written, that's that's what like makes you laugh the most. Like that's why on live TV when SNL, for example, when people break character, like that's when I hear people laugh the most. That's when I laugh the most because right. it's, yeah. it's like those moments, and it's I yeah. think it's important to leave those moments in sometimes. That's right. Yeah. Regardless right. of your brand, regardless of how much money it's worth or who's watching, because I feel like people hey, are yeah. smart enough to recognize human moments. Yeah, and you know, I mean, live TV, live comedy used to be m- way more like that. Like mm-hmm. shows uh, from a, from a, another era, like um, Carol Burnett and, and gosh, Dean Martin, and you know, right. all these shows that are like from the '60s and '70s. All th- these people are constantly breaking character and cracking each other up, and <laughs> you know, understanding fun. that the like that it might be kind of fun to screw with each other on live TV. And it's like, you know, um, and I remember uh, Jimmy Fallon was, he, oh my, he was horrible. He was so bad. He could not hold every single, every single scene, especially, especially with Will Farrell, who seemed to be able to get to him. And so Will Farrell's kind of such a funny, goofy guy that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just, he just, you know, tapped into, to, um, Jimmy Fallon's funny bone often. And Jimmy Fallon That's what I saw with, Fallon's um, guy too. Yeah. Farley and Fade too. Like you could mm-hmm. see when they were in a, a skit together, you could see like Farley knowing he has control over him. Yeah. <laughs> like perfectly. Or, or Sandler too. Like Chris Farley with Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. Like he, he would he would be able to control it because he was just this outrageous character, but he knew he could make the other person laugh. And yeah. Right. Like they add Once you sense it, you, sometimes you just great. you smell blood and you go for it. You know? <laughs> right. So, and I think yeah. it pays off, definitely. You know, by the way, Louis C.K. is quite funny on um, SNL. He does a great job. Yeah. He's excellent I, in the skits, I think. I was impressed by that, when, like when he hosted last. I mean, I've been impressed since, because when I first heard of him, I was younger and just heard stand-up, which is, you know, if you're just a stand-up comic, there's nothing wrong with that at all but then i saw louis then i saw snl and it's like this guy can do multiple things <laughs> he's, he's yeah he can he's take it further than can. just stand-up comedian yes indeed. He, he did great on snl i remember some really funny skits in there there was one where he was um what was it I want, it was some sort of phone store and like he did an impression like like an urban impression of like an african-american yeah. and there was an african-american yeah. working at the store and so she came and like addressed that and he's like no that's just how i talk and so like the skit goes over like five years and he's just always talking like that yeah and then like at the end of it she's like this isn't actually how i talk and he's like oh, thank thank goodness you said that it's not how i talk either and she's like and then she, she like gets mad and she's like i knew you were faking the whole time yeah I'm like, this is great yeah <laughs> i know great. i know that's a, that's great <laughs> shit this is, I, lo- I love it Like when something's funny, it doesn't need to be analyzed. It doesn't yeah. have to be. Wait, are we offended by this? Cause I know, if, I know. If you laugh, if you laugh, you laugh. That's all you know. That's, that's right. That's all you need to know. And it's instantaneous. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me, Robert. I greatly appreciate it.
Oh, my pleasure. You know, pleasure, really a pleasure talking to you. Um, I don't know how long you've had your. Um, this is uh, it. Blog, yeah, this really? Is, this is the first one. Yep. I, I have wow. done this before. Yep. Oh, that's first awesome. Episode. Well, you're great at it. Well, really? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, I'm, I'm just in college. I'm just a freshman in college. And yeah, so, 